Welcome to another edition of the Law and Gospel Devotional. It's been a few weeks since we've been together, but in case you've forgotten who I am, my name is Eric. I'm a pastor and contributor to 1517 in all sorts of ways. And I'm coming to you today, obviously not from the usual office that I have served in, but I am in fact in California, where I have recently relocated and from now on will be uh, uploading these videos from this spot, or at least from this state. Uh, it's to be determined exactly where we'll be uploading these from in the near future. But I figured as I prepared for the Las Vegas Here We Still Stand event, that I would take a little time to dive into God's Word with you this week, doing what we normally do, which is looking at God's two words from all of the scriptures. This week, looking at the epistle text from the upcoming series of lectionary texts found in Hebrews chapter 4. Man, I, I love Hebrews so much because Hebrews is, well, it's not written like a typical letter, but it's really like the recording of a sermon. It probably is a sermon. And so I figured we'd go ahead and dig into that. So without further ado, let's do that very thing. If there's anything that I can say uh, this passage is about for us today, it's really, it's all about rest. And specifically, it's all about resting in law and gospel, as I hope to show you as we move through it. To give you a little context, though, before we go into it, if you go back to chapter 3, you really get to the beginning of what he's going to address in chapter 4. He, he starts off in chapter 3, verse 7, quoting from Psalm 95. And it's as if what you see afterwards is a little bit of an uh, exegetical breakdown of that psalm from a New Testament, from a Christological perspective. It reads like this. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. He's obviously referencing what happened to the nation of Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness. Therefore, I was provoked, the Lord says, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Yes, that is the key. The people through their unbelief had, well, basically forfeited entering into the rest of the promised land then. Now, of course, we know that that promised land is not the true and better promised land. It's not the fulfilled promised land that we find through Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, we have a record of that event of, of God saying this generation is going to have to, uh, we're going to have to hold off on letting you all go in because of their disobedience. And really, the disobedience is unbelief. That's the problem that Israel faces all throughout its history. And so the preacher of Hebrews goes on to explain that, that we must be careful to avoid falling into the same trap the Israelites did of unbelief. Ultimately, that is the root of all our rebellion after all, unbelief. So as Journey pleaded with us through their classic song to don't stop believing, well, yeah, don't stop believing, the author of Hebrews says. And so the question is, as we enter chapter four, is how to obtain the true and better rest, the true and better promised land. Well, he says this, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. Yes, they were delivered good news, too, that God would lead them into the promised land. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith. 
Ooh, those are the key words over and over and over again. They were not united by faith with those who listen. Yes, faith is always the issue, ladies and gentlemen. It's never, never really ultimately about our works because our works flow from faith or lack thereof. And so the author continues, now is the time for rest. He says this, for we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, any, today saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The, the preacher of Hebrews is warning the people not to fall into the same trap that the people of Israel did, taking this all for granted and not really paying attention to what God had to say. And instead, the author of Hebrews says, no, right now, right now, believe. The author of Hebrews seems to account for the fact that there's going to be some that hear this letter or read this letter that, in fact, do not believe. And he wants to make sure that all come to faith that hear these words. He has the heart of an evangelist. He wants to make sure all believe because he wants to see all people saved. He wants to see all people enter into that rest. So what's the result of the rest? Well, well, if I could sum it up real briefly, it's summed up by this meme. No more work. No more work. The result of being brought into this true and better rest, this true and better promised land by the Father already by faith, is that it's not about works anymore. Remember, for the nation of Israel, even though they went into the promised land, it was still very much all about what they did, making sure they were good on their sacrificial system, making sure that they did this, 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 and that. Well, the difference between our rest and theirs is that those works are no longer necessary because the works that are necessary have already been completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so it says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Yes, this is the point. I, that is, if you were just to isolate that verse in and of itself, I got to believe that would be quite controversial. The idea that what it means to enter into the rest that God gives us through Jesus Christ is that there's no more work to be done. Now, of course, in our daily lives, there's going to be all sorts of opportunity for work to be done on behalf of our neighbors, on behalf of our spouses, on behalf of our kids. There's all sorts of things that we are called to do out of loving service to our neighbor. But the difference is none of these things are done to save us. None of these things are done to bring us our eternal rest. That is one alone by Jesus Christ. Yes, that's the point. So our works no longer count for a single thing before the throne of God. In fact, they really never did. It was always about faith and faith alone. That's the point of the author of Hebrews. So he continues, what does the rhythm of living in this rest look like for the Christian? Well, well, really, it looks like two words. And those two words are perfectly encapsulated for us at the end of the chapter of Hebrews chapter 4. It says this in verse 11. Let us therefore strive, 
to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If I could just boil it down for you, the author of Hebrews, on the one hand, uh, starts off this, uh, you know, this right here at the verse 11 saying, well, one of the ways that God is, works to keep you into that rest, or one of the ways that you strive to enter that rest, is by hearing what the Word of God actually says, hearing what it actually proclaims to you. And this is not easy because this Word exposes us as the law is preached. The process of being exposed by the law never really ends for the Christian because we are both saint and sinner simultaneously up until the day we reach glory. And of course, because of that, the flesh will always kick and scream against this work of God's word, rationalizing and minimizing and self-justifying our thoughts and our words and our deeds. It's true. Yes, the flesh hates hearing what the law says. We want to try and find loopholes some way to justify ourselves through our own works. But of course, the law gives no room for such equivocations. It says what it says, and it drives us to the end of ourselves. We cannot escape it. Yes, part of the rhythm of living in the rest that God out offers us now and gives us now is hearing that word proclaimed to us, confronting us with our sins really on a daily basis, bringing us back to the reality that in and of ourselves, we have no hope by our own works or by our own strength. But of course, that is never all the word does because as this devotion makes the case for every week, the law and the gospel are God's two words, and that is precisely what we are driven to right after we're told that we're going to be naked and exposed before the throne of God, before we must give an account, right after we're told we have no hope in it of ourselves. What does it say? Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What is our confession? That Jesus, the Son of God, is enough to save sinners and bring them into eternal rest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yes, we come to a high priest that understands us, knows what it is to be human. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Yes, your rest is based on grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's one of my favorite verses in the world, number one, because it doesn't say, let us go to the throne of judgment, which it very well could and deservedly could say. No, we go to a throne of grace. That means we go expectant, knowing that we have mercy to look forward to from the throne of a holy God. Indeed, we'll find grace and mercy every time in our help or in our time of need. So you say, well, when's the time of need? All the times. That's the answer. All the times are your times of need because there's never a time we don't need his grace and mercy to get through every moment of our lives. And so when it comes down to it, the rhythm of rest 
is God using his two words of law and gospel to point us towards Christ's works and always away from our own. Yes, that is the rhythm of the Christian life. That is what it means to live in the rest that God has for us and that he has obtained for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the rest that you live in today. It is yours simply by faith in the one who has died and risen from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope you have a great rest of the day and, in fact, a great rest of the week. And, yes, there still is time if you'd like to join us in Las Vegas for our Here We Still Stand event starting this Friday. Sign up at 1517.org. Go to the events page and get that thing going. Looking forward to, see who, to seeing whoever's there and having a good time this weekend. God's richest blessings to you.